Hey, welcome to America This Week from the Harris Poll with John Gersma and Libby Rodney. Libby, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm trying to stay cool. <laughs> it is so hot in New York City <laughs> this morning. We're, we're, we're uh, recording this on, on Friday, uh, July 22nd, and it is going to be a steamer. Um, <laughs> but hey, listen, if you're new to our program, what Libby and I like to, to do with this half-hour pod is kind of essentially bring society into the C-suite. Uh, what we do is we're pollsters and we take a le- weekly look at American society and culture with an angle on on marketing and brands and uh, and, cons- and corporate comms. So hopefully you'll find some stuff interesting. I think we've got some great stuff to talk about, Libby, right? We've, we're in, we wave 125 of our weekly tracking since the pandemic began. And we've got sirens behind me, so everyone knows I'm in New York. <laughs> and, uh, and what we're going to do is uh, take a look at four stories. Uh, the first one is is really concerning uh, as you think about the underlying economy, which is sort of a, a real interesting report that we did uh, with Fortune on the effects of inflation on Gen Z and millennial dreams. And then Libby, you've got a story on influencers. Yeah, don't call them influencers anymore. They don't like that. And and hello to the creative class and the creator economy. <laughs> that sounds great. We're going to pick it up with a third uh, poll around data privacy and how that's changing and actually how the public um, is getting far more savvy uh, about their issues with owning their own data and, and wanting to protect themselves. And then Libby, I think it fits with the weather, but your last story is... Yeah, I mean, we're all so hot and, you know, climate change is here and it's real and it's global and it's it's happening. And so we get to the bottom of why are companies having such a hard time moving on sustainability SG efforts? Um, and we did some really great uh, work there with Google, Google Cloud that we're going to talk about. Okay, great. All right. Well, first, as always, let's get uh, into the weekly numbers. Let's start with what we call our poll position. These are the, the numbers of the week that mattered most to Americans. First of all, I mean, Libby, quite surprisingly, uh, less than half of all Americans uh, at 42% remain unfamiliar with the BA5 variant, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, that may be about to change, right? Because yesterday, President Biden was revealed uh, to have COVID. But that, to me, I thought was really interesting. What is really on Americans' minds, however, is obviously the economy, inflation, and jobs. That holds steady at 87%. In fact, it's up a point from last week. The other things that are in the, on the minds of Americans uh, this week, as we reach the end of July, are crime rates in the United States at 83%. Um, and even the effects now of, of sort of this lingering recession. Uh, will there be a recession? We, we have over half of employed Americans are now concerned about losing their jobs. Um, beyond that, though, there's sort of a social angle on inflation if, if the data wasn't challenging enough. We now also have Libby that a third of Americans said that rising prices have had a negative impact on their relationships. In fact, 53% of couples say that inflation is prompting them to discuss money more often with their partners. And that's always fun, right? Yeah. It sounds like a lot of hot, heated money conversations coming down the realm. <laughs> too, mu- too much pressure. But uh, yeah. let's stick, stick with inflation and get into this first story. So we did this poll with um, 
Dave, which is a really interesting uh, division, uh, part of Fortune uh, as, as partners. And what we found was that there seems to be a, a lingering sort of concern, a, a real frank concern among millennials and Gen Z that inflation is really sort of making it far more difficult for them to achieve the American dream. And to kind of put that in context, obviously, you know, you have millennials that have faced soaring home prices and stagnant wage growth and obviously crushing student debt. That's also hit Gen Z. And Gen Z, you know, as you know, Libby, were the were the generation that got hit hardest, earliest in the pandemic in terms of workforce. But they have really the same issues sort of coming up uh, right behind them. And so it's not surprising when we look in this data that six out of 10 Gen Z and millennial Americans report a lack of confidence about affording their dream future. The other things I thought that were interesting in this is that three quarters are now concerned that the money they currently have or will save will not last. And the same number say that they are just getting by financially um, at 73%. So you got really three quarters of, of Gen Z and, and millennials that are really talking about severe money pressure. And that really impacts savings, right? It, you know, nearly more than four in 10 say they don't have enough rainy day savings in case they had an emergency. A third are worried about their credit scores and a quarter at 24%, um, you know, are concerned about having a good paying job. So, I mean, Libby, as you look at this, um, you know, 53% told us that they're likely to forego big ticket plans. And if they did go on a splurge vacation, you know, the same number said they'd only be able to afford it by stretching their budget or going into debt. I mean, what does that mean when, when you can't go on vacation without going into debt? And yeah. really, as you think about this, right, Libby, the underlying structured economy, where do you think this really goes? Well, I think it has a couple of implications. I mean, one is we're getting into a deep psyche here, like of financial insecurity and, and threats that don't seem to be um, really, I mean, there's a lot of like systematic diseases here that you see with student loan and ho housing prices and just financial insecurity. So it's, it's like, it's kind of a dark story, right? About mm. the pressures that millennials and Gen Z's are facing. Um, however, I can never sit too long in a dark story because I'm like, well, what's the opportunity, right? right? And so I think there's definitely um, a an opportunity where Gen Z and millennials are probably going to also reposition themselves and start to recalculate things. So like repositioning what a dream is, like what it, what are their dreams and what does that look like? Or where is home? And does it have to be, you know, the way in which we've imagined in, in the past or where do we find financial access and stability? I mean, I think the thing is the the structural issues are have kind of led us to the situation and it's not going to be the same structural issues that lead us forward but so i think you're going to have a generation of young americans who are saying who are going to say not just opting out of like home ownership but maybe thinking about it differently and finding ways to buy fractional home ownership mm -hmm. or ways of getting you know daily pay from from like financial fintech tools and just ways of kind of making their their money and their access and their security kind of i think it will be flipped on its head in probably the next five years because these are things that have 
are just constantly part of the system. And then you add inflation to it and it really shakes everything up. And if you're a marketer, how would you think about this data, like in terms of, of value and, and pricing or just sort of creating, uh, you know, sort of a, a safety net? Yeah, I would, I would think a lot about what do young Americans in particular, so those under 40, what financial pressures are they dealing with and how can you be a financial reliever of those mm. pressures? Um, mm. So I think, you know, that's like some of our data. I know the buy now, pay later market got comp is you know underwater in some ways, but thinking about tools and opportunities and platforms to give them a little bit of financial pressure relief or what we talked about last week with Honda and the assurance mm -hmm. program. Like if you lose a job, what does that, what does that mean? And really thinking about different ways to bring stability into people's lives and financial um, security, I think is, is a big one. Everyone should be thinking about not just financial companies, but just across lifestyle based companies. Mm, great stuff. Should we talk about influencers? Yeah. So, you know, the second story is we call it RIP influencer, hello creator. And this, this story is about the rise of the creator economy. And so we know, and marketers are very, you know, they're very well aware of the influencer market since the Kardashian age, but <laughs> in the pandemic and before that, just because there's so many more tools, there's a way to monetize and people had a lot of spare time, more and more people entered what we call the creator class. And so we did a piece of research and we do research on this just constantly at the Harris Poll, but we did a piece of research with um, our sister company, MMI, covered by Media Post to really get at the heart of what motivates them and what do they wish marketers knew. And so the first thing that they wish marketers knew was stop calling them influencers. They really hmm. feel much more like creators. And also when you talk to different subsets of creators, whether that be like video creators or writers and journalists, they also think of themselves differently within their, those buckets. So it's worth kind of noting. Um, but when we talked to people, they said, you know, influencer has sometimes a negative connotation. It feels like you're bragging. And it, it's definitely associated with a superficiality, whereas like someone who creates, right? Someone who builds a world or builds content or whatnot, they're doing it with substance. And so mm. we asked them like, well, what what's motivating you to be a creator, right? And they, they came back to us and they said three, four, Three quarters of them say they have a passion for their subject areas. And then the other two thirds want to build a community around shared interests. So passion plus community. And I think that's actually a huge, those will be huge kind of principles moving forward um, in this kind of long tail micro community world that we're now living in. And then less than half say they're doing so to make extra money or hope to make this full-time income. So they're not all of, not all of them are motivated by money while 37% um, hope to make it big one day. So you have, you know, people who see this as potential in the next small business owners of, of the world. Right. And then the other people are just like, I'm doing this to fulfill myself in a way that my current employment might not be able to. Um, but then we have a couple points with, with brands here, you know, around engaging 74% report engaging with their community um, is their main priority over the expense of brand partnerships. So, you know, brands can't pay to play in the same ways that they thought they could or, or used to be able to do because um, creators will prioritize their community and that authenticity over everything. 
And then um, nearly all those that we talked to, 98% said it's important to work with brands that align with their values. Um, so really brands coming to the table and thinking about them differently, not as a pay to play person, but as someone that you're co-collaborating co with and thinking about their values. But John, I'm so curious, you know, we've been in this space a long time. We've been talking about influencers forever. What do you think is going on here in this idea of the influencer versus the creator? Do you know what Libby? You are fond of talking about this generational war that moves coming, and I think you need to write a book on this between <laughs> millennials, between millennials and Gen Z. I think this topic is exactly that. Um, if you think about the difference in the two terms, right, influencer and creator, influencer to me feels, and I think you see it here in the numbers, but it feels to me very millennial. It's very aspirational. It's about making money. It's about unboxing. It's about filters. It's live your best life. Look at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you think about creator, creator actually came from TikTok, right? And so TikTok is sort of more Gen Z. And I think what you see in these numbers, you know, 57% say brands should keep in mind the need for content to be authentic. That's really what what TikTok is doing, right? There are less, it seems like Gen Z is less focused on, on making money as much as it is about personal expression and making content, right? It's like caring for your audience. And maybe if you make some money down the line, that's great. And I think that's really interesting, right? Because you've got Facebook and Instagram chasing TikTok with Reels and Facebook Live. But I don't know if, if they or even if many marketers have caught up to what's driving this new sort of shift. I think that the Insta world was about, you know, those filters and, and this new world seems to be about, I really care about my, my community. And I'm going to make content for them. And so I don't know, Libby, what, what you think about that, but to me, that's really fascinating that there seems to be a, um, a shift that and it clearly brands have got to find a way to adjust to it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like in the, in the Instagram world, you still needed millions of followers to get a deal. And now in this new world, whether you're a creator on Roblox or TikTok or whatnot, you actually, it's its more about the people that you connect with and that community that you can then monetize and not monetize necessarily in a bad way, but like you can have a following on TikTok and sell, you know, uh, woven baskets that are cool because they like reflect mm. the 80s and that's nostalgic to Gen Z um, <laughs> and and make money off of it because that community is interested in who you are because you've authentically represented yourself and you've told the story. And I think it's, it's going to be like, I'm so curious to see how brands really um, navigate these waters with creators of the future because it, it's just we are actually living in the long tail. We've been talking about the long tail since when I was working at Razorfish in the early 2000s, and now it's actually here and there's value exchange happening with it. And so how do you insert yourself into those long tail conversations in an authentic way? I think it's a huge challenge, but also giant opportunity. I totally agree. And just to put a bow on it, I mean, I think the difference between these two terms, influencer and creator, is really a whole shift in the mindset of the cynicism of the medium, right? I, I feel like it's yeah. undergoing some sort of a, of a revolution. And there's a great anecdotal thing I, I heard from a marketer this week that I wanted to share, but um, you know, like TikTok has the creator exchange 
And I, and I've heard from this marketer that they're struggling with using that creative exchange because it really looks like one of our polls, right? It's everybody. It's, it's all Americans, you know, sort of that are part of this influencer and they're sort of have this old mindset of, you know, where's my, um, my filtered, polished, unboxed influencer. When in fact, you know, a lot of these people are just real people creating real content that's really creating engagement. So I think it's super fascinating. Yeah. It, my favorite thing is like the random people who do really well in TikTok, like the ex, the woman who sell, um, like this is an Excel TikTok genius who kind of teaches you how to do Excel really fast and has created a whole business out of that. You know, like that's so cool. Okay, <laughs> yeah. but but stay with this for a second. So then, mm -hmm. if brands need to adjust to this shift, right? Mm -hmm. We just talked about with this this Excel, um, yeah. you know, creator. Like, isn't this a big opportunity? Brands are always saying, "Oh, we have to be authentic." Like, this is a real shift, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, and I think that's I think that's the most challenging part to brands, even. Before, if you were working in the influencer kind of economy, you might have five influencers and now you might have 200 creators and they have their own micro communities. So like, for example, I'm really interested in what Gucci is doing. Gucci has created a virtual town in Roblox and the way that they describe it isn't like we're, we've partnered with Roblox and we're going to create this one thing because it's a living space that's persistent and always there. They're actually working with creators in the Roblox community on an ongoing basis. And so I imagine it'll be more like, here's the brief. This is what our community looks like. Here's our vision. It's much more vision orientated and then allowing hmm. people to craft from there. Um, monetary exchange will be interesting to see how those things work out. Uh, because I think Gen, I think the the feedback that we get when we talk about the creator economy and Gen Z is like, well, yeah, because every all the Gen Zs are happy living in their parents' basement right now. But what what happens when they want to to make more money, et cetera? And I think actually the tools and the platforms and smart contracts and NFTs will have evolved so that we get to share more value for the content that we create in the community that matters for us, you know. And so I so, think there's a so lot to happen there. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, wait, mm -hmm. I know we're dragging this on, but I'm really interested yeah. in what you're saying. So Gucci is just obviously famous for consistency and, and luxury. And I mean, that's a that's a marketer that has a very tightly, to some extent, defined brand, right? In terms of its, if its image, how do you give that away, right? Because I think marketers love control. I think what you're talking about, though, is, is allowing the latitude uh, for, for these creators to sort of express Gucci in their own way. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know exactly how it works, but what you've seen with like Louis Vuitton and Gucci and the ways in which they've gotten cultural clout in the last five to 10 years is through co-collaborations and saying like, mm. hey, this is our brand. How do you interpret it? And that's been like the big, you know, way of of remaining relevant. And so then if you think about, they've been doing that with basically influencers or streetwear, people it the next like that was a millennial like okay check the box that's amazing let's do that and then so if you think about gen z who's even more in these micro communities discord everywhere they're kind of in these smaller things they're gonna want more of that right more of that ability it's like um from participation to hmm. creation so they're gonna i think it's just gonna be it's it's got to be more about vision and creative briefs almost and like here are your 
here's what you can create in the context of our brand, you know? Oh, we got to do some more on this in, yeah. a, in a future show. We should connect it to retail investing too, because I'm really interested in, in, in that trend also with young folks. Okay, let's talk um, data privacy is our mm. third story. So, you know, data privacy obviously has been around for a long time. It's historically been much more important in Europe, as you know, than it is here in the States. But we've done a, a new poll um, in partnership with um, Permitive. Am I saying that the right way? Mm -hmm. I'm showing my ignorance. But um, three quarters of, of UK consumers as well as US consumers now tell us that they're not comfortable purchasing a brand with poor personal data ethics. So you're starting to see this data ethic at least run into stated um, you know, challenges with potential uh, usage and preference and, and buying. Same number, 74% are concerned about brands being able to view and track their online behavior and target them with advertising. This again is, is this has become far more of a, of a salient issue. Um, yet at the same time, Libby, only 27% say they completely understand how their personal data is used by brands and companies to target them. But what is interesting to me is that over half now, 51% would like to choose the types of personal data to share online with advertisers. And you have nearly half, 42% would not share any personal data. So, you know, there's a lot in here to sort of look at Libby. 34% believe that brands are responsible for protecting their personal data online, even if they have actively or passively shared that data with the brand. And then nine out of 10 obviously said they'd spend more money with the brand, you know, that is protecting their personal data. So Apple kind of kicked this off, but it seems to really have, have steamrolled. I mean, Libby, what do you think the implications are for brands in a world where the public seems to be striking back? Yeah, well, to your point, Apple, I think, made a genius move a couple of years ago, really standing up for privacy and, and really positioned it at they got ahead of it and they were like, privacy is the new luxury and it's a new premium. And so I feel like they actually, creativity is important, but they, they saw the role of privacy and they went after it. And now they have this premium position around privacy in the market. I think what's really interesting to me is when brands are standing up and making now, um, big like social campaigns around what they're standing for in terms of privacy. So for example, Google now says it will delete location data when users are around any kind of um, healthcare clinics, abortion clinics, et cetera, because that data hmm. could be used against um, a woman in her re reproductive ages uh, about you know the, the choices that she makes in her life. And so I think it's what's gonna be interesting is that the stances that companies come out and proactively take around privacy. Because the thing is like privacy on a day-to-day -day basis, it's like, yes, you don't want to be tracked. There's all these things that you can, that consumers often say in, in groups and in data, um, but then they, it's hard for them to interpret it and understand what the value is that you're providing around their data. Like John, I'm sure you go to a new 
site or whatnot and they say, do you want these cookies accepted or not? And you have no idea what that actually means, right? Like, No, I just <laughs> want to read this story and I right. click accept. It's like, yeah, exactly. Right. But if you knew that the guiding principles of the company were to do X, Y, and Z, and they, they were never going to sell your data to third party, they were never going to talk about these things or that, you know, I think that's like actually a new market opportunity to get really clear. It's the same way that banking used to have fine print on everything. And then they said, mm. you know, no fees. Like they just, like the banks like started getting rid of the fine print started to become real industry premium players. So I think that's kind of what Apple's doing, but I imagine other people will follow suit. Just go back and, and say what you mean. I love that passage. You said privacy is the new luxury. Can you sort of dimensionalize that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, so. I think companies that stand up on the side of privacy. So, for example, Apple, like not giving user data to the FBI and standing up for the case of the users or giving you more opt in uh, abilities or, you know, kind of making the case against cookies, they they are then taking a stance that say your data and your privacy matter to us most, right? More than a third party seller. And so other companies that think about that, that don't think about the user data as just a way to monetize, but as a way to protect, again, we're in this era of kind of protection and stability, I think it's going to be that, that element that makes people feel secure, that like hmm. lessens their anxiety, that because, you know, the, the future is also we're going to face this real heightened sense of tech monitoring, right? And that people are tech monitoring us and that we're getting things and, and we have no control over anything. Um, so more companies that make a stance around this is what our privacy is, these, this is our ethos or ethics behind it, is going to, I think, drive a more premium position for them in the market. That's great. Great. Should we finish up uh, with this last story on uh, yeah. sustainability? Yeah. So uh, this is, you know, we thought this was an appropriate story to talk about sustainability and why companies are having a hard time to move um, against it, especially as, you know, CNN reported this morning, you know, in London, a portion of the airport just melted away. Um, in New York, we're having sinkholes and, you know, the lights in my apartment in Brooklyn are dimming because of a potential brownout. So, <laughs> There's just a lot of uh, stuff yeah, going yeah. on with, with the heat wave. Um, but when we when you think about it, it's like, well, why are we still dragging our feet on climate change? And a really great report that we did with Google Cloud, which include almost 1,500 executives across 16 markets globally, tried to get at that answer and said, like, why, where are we today and, and where should we be going? Um, and a big one is just the lack of measurement and accountability. So 36% of executives said that their organizations have measurement tools in place to quantify their sustainability efforts, but that's only 36%. And of that, only 17% are using those measurements to optimize based on results. So even those who have it in there aren't really using the tools. And then on the flip side, 72% of all executives believe that their business has overstated sustainability initiatives. Wow. They know it's important to marketers, you know, to consumers, but it's just, it's more like um, one executive responded that it it's more like a PR stunt. And so, you know, there's, there's conflict internally 
around the measurement uh, of these companies and, and what is happening. And I think we have to give companies a little bit of breathing room as well. They've been dealing with a crazy amount of existential threats from, you know, the inflation to supply chains to mm. COVID. But, you know, we we see also in our other research that Americans support, 73% of Americans support the government requiring companies to publicly report their climate impact statistics. So the work that's going on with the SEC right now, and overall, almost nine in 10 Americans agree that large companies have the opportunity to hit the reset button and focus on doing right by their workers, the community and the environment. So anyways, John, I was just sitting with this data and thinking about why are we not moving forward? What what do you think about this? Why can't we wrap our heads around it and, and create action? Is it just too complex? Well, well this is great data, Libby. And I, I think, first of all, just to kind of pause on it, it's remarkable that 72% of business executives, this isn't the public, this is business executives in this Google Cloud Harris poll, believe their business has overstated their sustainability initiatives, right? Wow. I, I think there is there is a, a pessimism um, and not that it's important, but they take their cues from the public. And it's, uh, to be really frank, in our data, it's not a key priority with the public. You know, mm. something is always... You know, climate change is always sort of getting pushed to the back of the line. And, you know, if you, um, I, th I threw a chart here into the show notes, Libby, take a look at this. But this was our Harvard-Harris poll mm. from this past month, from June. And we asked this question, what would you say are the most important issues facing the country today? And just as you said, you know, we asked uh, American voters to select three. So you had mm -hmm. to select three of the most important issues that, that are on your mind. And aggregated together, it's inflation and price increases uh, is the top answer from 40% of all American voters, followed by the economy and jobs at 29%, then followed by guns at 20%. And that was up seven points from the previous month. Now, that's obviously a function of, of the tragedy in Uvalde. But the point there is, is that there's tangible movement now happening on that issue because of the consistent tangible impacts. And I think with climate, you know, when we look at this, this is way down the list. Libby, it is 12, what is it? It is at 12%, 12% mm -hmm. environment and climate change. And it's actually down three points from last month. So even while the world is steaming, right? From the UK to, to, to Brooklyn, you just have it not being a salient uh, important issue. And if I went back and trended this data over the past two years, you'd see the same story. It never sort of gets the priority it deserves. So it doesn't surprise me that businesses are sort of maybe pushing it down the line too. They do their own research, don't you think? Yeah, no, I, that's a really good point. Um, I think from a consumer point of view, they expect businesses to have a longer point of view, like meet all my needs and meet climate change. So like, I think when we yeah. talk to people, they're like, don't, you know, it needs to be your top priority, but it can't be as a consumer, my top priority. Um, but that's, I mean, I think to your point, that's a bigger, it's a bigger observation of the existential crisis that businesses are dealing with. And they're just kind of going down the line, like, okay, what's our stance on, gun rights right now, you know, and, and um, getting and violence and crime and like healthcare is above climate change. And so all these things that really impact the personal well-being of the consumer 
our top priorities. And then the climate change until it affects you, until you like see fires in your backyard and things like that, mm. maybe they're not at, they don't get as top priority in your mind, right? Because you haven't had a move or you haven't been in a super life-threatening situation. Not yet, but I think the the rise in these other issues, you know, we talked about guns in the Harvard-Harris poll. The other one was obviously women's rights is at 17%. Right. Um, and that was up six points. So clearly there needs to be more, unfortunately, potentially more tangible evidence to sort of really get get people to move on on these issues. And it, it, I, I think it kind of has to start with the public, you know, until the public really sees this as a... Um, is the threat that it is. But, you know, as you see in the data, it's always something more urgent. You know, it's inflation or it's yeah. uh, coronavirus or it's uh, it's guns or it's something else. No, that's a really, that's a really smart point. My oh, hope no, is I'm that- I'm going to leave us on a bummer. You're yeah. always, you always no, end no, no, no. up on I, I so. think, I think, look, I've been reading a lot um, uh, about the future and one book in particular, Peter Diamandis' book around like the think faster, the future is already here, something like that. I'm, mm. I'm not titling it right, but he has a pretty op, uh, he's pretty optimistic about AI's ability to help us, um, you know, offset climate change. For example, there's already this uh, AI research company out there that can program it, that can use drones to plant trees, and they can plant a million trees a year in oh, the areas so of cool of the deforestation where it's like needed most. So I like, there are good things happening at least in areas, but um, to your point, we need like a, a calling moment where collectively, globally, we come together and make some sort of planetary pact, you know, <laughs> say enough oh, is enough. <laughs> absolutely. And um, let's put that book into the show notes, uh, Jack, that would be terrific. Um, okay, well, listen, we want everybody to have a great weekend. Uh, just to finish this off, this is America This Week from the Harris Poll with Libby and John. If you guys like the banter, please leave us a review uh, on either Apple or Spotify, your your place of choice. And also, we have an America This Week newsletter. Um, but most importantly, if you have a um, – oh, that's on LinkedIn, by the way. Most importantly, if you've got a poll idea, send it to us because we'll – we like cover it and, and talk about it. So we'd love to hear from you. It's Libby Rodney at LinkedIn or John Gersma at LinkedIn or Twitter. All right. That's it for uh, this week, right? Libby, anything else going on? That's it. Stay cool, everyone. <laughs> All right. Be well, everybody.